Hey guys, thanks for joining me for this 21st episode of Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests for this episode include astronomer Dr. Avi Loeb. We'll be talking about the new book, Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. We'll also visit with comedian Margaret Cho. She's got a live stream Valentine's event, Sex with Margaret, coming to Rush Ticks. We'll also visit with former NATO Supreme Allied Commander General Wesley Clark and his son, Wes Clark Jr., about the documentary Hot Money. We'll also visit with author and showrunner Daniel Pine about his new book, Water Memory. If you would, please take the time to subscribe, drop a like, comment, leave some feedback, and of course, share with your friends. Our first guest, Harvard's top astronomer, Dr. Avi Loeb, will be talking about his new book, Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. We've got a brand new book to talk about, excited about Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. And uh, with that, we've got Dr. Avi Loeb on the line with us. And first off, uh, Dr. Loeb, I, I appreciate you taking some time to visit with us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. Now, now, Doctor Avi, as uh, as um, I, I'm probably the worst trying to uh, come up with the pronunciation. Ua mua mua is uh, am I close as uh, and as it passed the Earth in 2017? Obviously, lots of questions, but uh, you have got uh, an idea and a concept of the first sign of intelligent life beyond Earth as a result. And uh, tell us kind of where the uh, the the opening of that uh, thought process came for you, sir. Yeah, you were pretty close. It's uh, Oumuamua, and uh, the name in Hawaiian means the scout. And the reason that uh, there was a Hawaiian name given to this object is because it was discovered by a telescope uh, in Maui called Panstars. And um, it was discovered in October 2017, and it, it was the first object that uh, was spotted near the Earth that came from outside the solar system. So uh, it's sort of like finding an object... Uh, in your backyard that came from the street. And uh, at first astronomers thought, oh, it's probably just a rock, just like all the rocks that we have seen before in the solar system. But then it turned out to show weird properties. They were, it, it appeared um, most likely uh, flat or, or pancake shaped. Uh, it it um, uh, also was pushed by uh, some force uh, that is most likely the reflection of, of sunlight. And it didn't show any cometary tail. Um, there was no gas around it, uh, the way you see in comets. No, no gas or dust. And um, it looked like nothing we have seen before. So you couldn't really assign it to any of the objects we knew about. And so um, I suggested that it may be of artificial origin. That in fact, it's just like a plastic bottle on a beach uh, uh, that you find among the rocks that are natural. And uh, it indicates uh, uh, that a civilization might be around uh, that produced it. And 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 for you, obviously, there's uh, in science there's so, there's so many questions. How is that the uh, how do you go do through the hypothesis progress and and coming up with the answers, especially when when you're talking about a, a, an object that's that, that's so far away and hard to uh, to do the testing on as well. Yeah. So. Um, uh, we have some data on this object, and I approached it, the evidence, uh, just the same way that you approach any other 
problem in science, you, you have some clues. It's like a detective story. You, you have some clues and you're trying to figure out what they mean. And you put on the table the various explanations that are possible. And this one, because it didn't look like a comet or an asteroid, the, you couldn't really assign to it a, a class of systems that you've seen before. And then you had to explain the, the behavior that was anomalous. It has anomalies. And um, these, these anomalies, you know, need to be explained under any uh, origin story for, for this object. So uh, the, people suggested that maybe it's natural, but then they had to invoke uh, something that we had never seen before, you know, objects that uh, we, we are not familiar with. And my point was simple. If it's nothing like we have seen before, then it could be very well be artificial. And uh, something of the type of a, a light sail, a sail that is pushed by light, which is a technology that we are currently developing for space exploration. And uh, the point is that next object that comes along, you know, we can, in principle, take a photograph of it. And a picture is worth a thousand words. In fact, it, it's worth uh, 66,000 words, which are the number of words in my book. Uh, you wouldn't need the book. You can just show a photograph. There you go. As new uh, objects become available and uh, and say, I'm not even going to try to attempt the, the, the name again. As as it comes through, does does the excitement, does, does it lend to excitement or, or, or fear as, as the opportunities well, of others out there still? I would have hoped that the scientists would be excited in the sense that they would say, oh, let's check this possibility and search for more objects of the same and take photographs of them or, and figure out what they, what they are. But instead, the scientific community dismisses, uh, you know, in advance uh, any discussion about um, a, a technological origin and uh, possibly another civilization. And there is no attempt to, to even consider it as a possibility. And I, I find that uh, quite... Uh, Unfortunate because uh, the public is extremely interested in this question and, uh, you know, the question of whether we are alone and are we the smartest kid on the block. And, and the scientists have the ability to address these questions. So I think it's the obligation of science to actually deal with this uh, rather than ignore it and dismiss it and ridicule this uh, option. And Dr. Lowe, what are you? What is the biggest challenge moving forward to to, to keep things, uh, well, to to keep it on the up and up, and and also to to keep this on folks' minds to to keep searching for the answers as well. Yeah, so it's relatively simple. One needs to fund, the, uh, for example, uh, the deployment of uh, cameras in, within the orbit of the Earth around the Sun. So you just need to put uh, an array of cameras that. Uh, will be there, and when uh, objects like Oumuamua pass by, they will take a close-up photo. Uh, that's not very expensive, but, but but it's the kind of a project that uh, can be funded right now and, and, and waiting for the next object to, to show up. And um, But if the scientific community dismisses that the discussion has a taboo on, on talking about it, um, then it will never happen. And I, I, I'm trying to change the culture, the atmosphere about this subject by writing this book, by writing scientific papers before the book. Um, but so far, I, I must say that the public is extremely interested, but the science community dismisses it. 
And again, the, uh, the the book, Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. Dr. Avi Loeb, I, I want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can find out more information about the book and and everything else you've got working on as well. Uh, the book is available in any place uh, that sells books. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or Barnes and & Nobles and anywhere. Uh, and um, uh, more information can be found on my website. Uh, if you just Google my name, Avi Loeb, you can find more about my research. All right. Well, Dr. Avi Loeb, it has been great to visit with you this morning. I truly appreciate your time and uh, and your efforts. Hopefully, uh, we, can, uh, we can catch up again real soon, my friend. Thanks for hosting me. Our next guest, comedian Margaret Cho, has a live stream Valentine event, Sex with Margaret, coming to Rush Ticks. Always great to have one of my favorite comedians, and uh, especially as we come up towards Valentine's Day. Good to visit with Margaret Cho on the line. And uh, first off, Margaret, always great to visit with you, my friend. I love it. Thank you. Hi. Now, Margaret, this uh, th- th- this year, Valentine's Day, as a result of 2020 and now what 2021 is becoming, you got to change it up just a little bit for Valentine's Day. What? Uh, what tell tell our listeners a little bit about uh, the the special event coming up on Rush Ticks. It's going to be a um, live streaming show, and it's on um, RushTicks.com, and it's sex with Margaret, and it's going to be like a an advice show. Uh, I'll take questions, um, and I'll have a bondage expert on. I have some comedians on, and we'll have a, a nice, fun experience. I think Valentine's Day is so loaded with expectations, and it would be great to just kind of, like, decompress and have a sort of a – get some ideas of what to do for later in the night also. Um, so it's going to be a fun show, and I want everybody to come in, and I'll have shout-outs. Um, people uh, will ask questions live, and – it's going to be great. Now, now, Margaret, as as 2020 did what it did, it unfurled in front of us, we've all had to change things up a little bit. Is that kind of how the, uh, the the Sex with Margaret event came up for you? Yes. And to do shows live online is really special, you know. And so it's been something that I, I'm really working towards and doing more of this, which I think is really cool. So, um to have that ability to connect um, virtually with people is really special. And so I'm really glad to be able to do this. Actually, Oklahoma City was the last place I did a live show um, in March of last year. So um, it's great to be back. But this will be great to come back on um, online this Valentine. Now, now, Margaret, what what has been the, the the hardest part of not being able to do the live show? Is is it coming up with fresh material, new uh, new comedy? What what's been the biggest challenge for you since uh, since that last appearance in Oklahoma City? Well, it's it's really just because comedians need to do comedy to live. I mean, it's really part of our emotional makeup. You know, it's a very integral part of living. You know, a lot of comedians don't do these shows to uh, make money or for a living. It's really because we need it to survive emotionally. And so that's been very strange. Um, so it doesn't feel uh, right. And I've been doing it for so long that it's really a part of me. And so I, I'm, I'm really um, suffering there. But, you know, there is material. There is stuff that we can write. And we can still do shows online, which is really special. 
Now, what what has been the what is the biggest uh, COVID or 2020 type purchase that you made that you would have never purchased had had last year not happened? Uh, I have a microclimate, which is a like a space helmet that has a, a microscopic climate inside, so it filters air and it's got like a speaker, so you can hear and people can hear you talk. And it's a it 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 has a fan, so it doesn't fog up, and it cleans the air. <laughs> that you breathe, um, and I still wear another uh, an N95 mask under also, but um, it's something that I, I really think is uh, something I would never, I don't think they invented it before this year, last year. Margaret, for you, in in, in the, the the way the last year was, and obviously you're a voice for so many people, and and a rallying, you're you're always fighting for folks that that sometimes can't fight for themselves. And it, did that get a little bit heavy this last year, or or did it maybe help uh, reinvite reinvigorate the, the the energies for you? It was very, um, it was a very tough year, and. Um, Yet, I think that with uh, being able to work online, especially with the Biden-Harris campaign, to be able to get connected with people, um, I was down in going into, like, uh, protests with uh, Black Lives Matter, and that was really important. And so I think that there has been um, real tangible change. Uh, So that's great that we could still do that even during a pandemic. And maybe because of a pandemic, because we're all sitting and watching so much of this happen. So I'm glad that I was able to do what I could, but it's been very challenging. And again, the uh, the event coming up on uh, Valentine's evening, 5 p.m. Pacific time. If uh, if folks want to find out more information, I know there's uh, there's VIP, there's shout outs and, and all kinds of other information. Margaret, where's the best place to, to get more info? They can go to RushTix.com, or they can go to MargaretCho.com, they can go to my um, Twitter, at Margaret Cho, or they can go to my Instagram, Margaret underscore Cho. All right. Well, again, Sex with Margaret Show, the live stream Valentine show coming up on Valentine's night. Margaret, it is always great to visit with you. I, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Have a wonderful Valentine's show, and uh, hopefully we can catch up again real soon, my friend. I hope so. Thank you. Our next guest, former NATO Supreme Allied Commander General Wesley Clark and his son Wes Clark Jr. as we talk about the documentary, Hot Money. Got uh, a brand new documentary to talk about, Hot Money. And uh, and first off, uh, General and, and Wes, thank you guys so much for taking the time to be on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Cameron. Now, now, first off, uh, G- General Clark, how did uh, the, the documentary Hot Money first, uh, w- how was this first brought to you, if you will, uh, it, it, when, when the uh, the work first began? Well, Cameron, this all started because this is the way my son and I talk at the table, really. I mean, you know, we, we, we both work in renewable energy. I've been in finance. He's a writer. And uh, we have these uh, incredible discussions at home. And when I visit with him... Uh, and, 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 you know, uh, we were lucky enough that uh, we connected with Jeff Bridges, and Jeff Bridges gave us the opportunity to, to take it and put it into a documentary. 
And uh, and I'm very proud of my son. He's an environmental activist. He really cares about the country and and, and the world. And uh, he's really done some great on this film. And and Wes, for you, the uh, hot money. It's uh, it's talking about the economic and uh, and politics that are that are behind uh, the the clean energy. And how did uh, how long has this been something that's been on the forefront for you personally? Oh, for me. It was, I, I still remember the night my dad sat me down and talked about it. I was visiting Green Allied Commander of NATO, and he's like, uh, I got to talk to you for a couple minutes. And he brought me upstairs and he sat me down. And he said, uh, Listen, we got this briefing from the European Science Commission today, and it was about climate change, and this is going to happen in your lifetime. And, you know, at first you have all these images of, like, Mad Max and stuff. But, you know, I went into putting up utility-scale wind turbines uh, around the country and, you know, the aughts. And I understood the finance behind it. And then about 2016, I started to think, well, what's happening with people's mortgages? And that's really what the movie is about, is about your house and the value of your house and how your life savings are all wrapped up in this problem. And long before anything is actually physically underwater, it could collapse the economy because the economy is based on the debt of all of our houses. Those are like assets to the bank. So as insurance rates rise because of storms or fires or floods, it means the insurance you have to pay on selling your house is going to go up. And eventually it's going to reach the point where a bank's just going to say, yeah, we're not going to insure that property or an insurance company will say that that's already happening in parts of California. So then somebody's stuck with a piece of property they can't sell. And then you play that out along millions of people that live along the Gulf coast and, and in fire zones. And, you know, all of our, economy, there's like debt on top of debt. So the real debt we have is something like eight to 10 times the size of global GDP. That's the debt out there. And it's all based on, you know, you know, a little about finances and assets worth a certain amount of value. If that asset drops in value, you got a financial crisis and we're headed towards a massive financial crisis. That's going to affect Americans and the value of their homes and the value of our currency and how our society functions because there's a big weakness in the system and we've failed to address it for 30 years. And it's not climate. It's the money part of it. In, in general, for, for you, as uh, what do you see as the biggest uh, misconception that folks are having about the, the, the poli- political and, uh, and also economic ramifications as a result? Well, I think people just, uh, they, don't, you know, they don't realize that uh, it's human economic activity that has, is causing this, this climate change. Um, there are some natural variations in climate, the, the Earth's position in its orbit and the way the axis tilts and where sunlight falls and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but, but, but those are minor variations. If it were for human activity, we'd actually be in an age of growing glaciation. We'd be cooling off. Instead, we're getting hotter and hotter and hotter each year. 
it's because of what we belched out into the atmosphere through hydrocarbons. And we needed this. Look, we were, we, humankind has done incredible things in 250 years. We went into the industrial age. We used coal to create energy. We, you know, built, we used steel. We built railroads. We created modern civilization. We moved into oil. It's been ph- phenomenal. Now, I live in Arkansas. I think, Cameron, you're in Oklahoma City. And, uh, and um, you know, Oklahoma and Arkansas, Texas, I mean, we were, we were the oil patch in America. We helped make modern America possible, and it was a huge thing for national security and still is. But it has consequences. And so what we have to understand is that, um, you know, we've, we've used these God-given resources to move mankind. And now it's time to look at the consequences and move forward. And so that requires government leadership. It cannot be done simply by the private sector because what's happened is we're, we're, we're dumping into the atmosphere carbon. It's like when I was growing up as a kid in Arkansas, people used to say, oh, it doesn't matter. You can put sewage in the stream. I mean, after all, the fish go to the bathroom also, you know. I mean, uh, but we discovered, no, you really have to purify the water. You can destroy the water. Well, now we're realizing that as small as an individual person is, as big as the earth is, that all the human activities can actually poison the atmosphere. And that's what's happening. Each year there's more and more carbon in the atmosphere, and it's causing the earth to heat up. The water's heating up in the oceans, and, and it's changing the climate. And that those climate changes have profound economic impact on human activity, on things like farming. I mean, we're going to change the growing seasons in in America and around the world. And I mean, it may be good for Siberia and northern Canada. It's not going to be so good for these farmers in the United States. And um, so we see these things happening. They're too big for any individual person or family or even state to handle. It has to be handled by the federal government. We have to ask government to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That's why we formed the United States in the first place. And we need help on climate change. And, and, and Wes Jr., for you, it, it takes each and every single one of us. And, and is the is the project, the process, is it too hard for each of us to just kind of try to make an individual effort ourselves? Yeah, no, it doesn't matter what brand of paper towel you use or whether or not you a bike or a, a car to work. I mean, these are gigantic things. I mean, most of the carbon that we're putting out has to do with transportation, housing, energy. I mean, people generally can't make those choices on their own. And then it's, you know, I met this environmentalist once from Scotland and you know, he shows up at the meeting in an SUV, and, and I'm like, well, why do you do that? He goes, well, because everybody else can do it. I put myself at an economic disadvantage to other people if, you know, it's legal. And so it's a question, you know, we all need to get on board with this because it affects all of our lives, not just, you know, polar bears. This affects your mortgage. This affects your nest egg. This affects your life savings. And we'll see that play out over the next 10 years. That is right. And again, the uh, the, the new documentary, check it out, Hot Money and uh, G- General Clark and uh, Wes Clark Jr. I also want to make sure and let folks know where they can find more information about uh, about the documentary as well. 
Sure, hotmoneyfilm.com. Hotmoneyfilm.com. Go there, get a little trailer, show you where to buy it. Give you a little to watch. Uh, if you got a library card, you can watch it for free on Hoopla. All right. Well, again, uh, former NATO Supreme Allied Commander General Wesley Clark and Wes Clark Jr., great to visit with you guys this morning. Looking forward to, uh, to spending some more time with the documentary and hope you guys have a, a great rest of your week. Thanks, Thanks so much, Cameron. Our next guest, uh, another author, love having the chance to, to visit and delve in deep with uh, with with some authors. Got a new book to talk about, a thriller called Water Memory by Daniel Pine. And uh, first off, on the line with us, Daniel. First off, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, now Daniel, tell us a little bit. Where did uh, where did the idea of writing? For you, when did uh, the inspiration for writing and the written word first come to you? Like in my career? Uh, early on, I, you know, I fell in love with typewriters when I was little. It was, it was before word processors. And I loved seeing how, I loved the perfection of the, of the type on the page because it looked like stories that I was reading. So I think that had something to do with it. But I always liked painting with words. My father was a painter and I, I got some of his talent, but not nearly enough of it. Um, but I, you know, I loved spending time in his studio and I loved the way that he could recreate the world on a canvas. And I found that I liked doing that with words, like painting pictures in people's heads. So it started there. Now, were, were you always a great storyteller, the ham? Were you the, the one that always had a, a special story or were you the one that was always keeping it to yourself a little? I was always the one who was listening. I'm, I think I, I don't think that I, I'm not one of those people who goes to the party and tells the great stories. Um, I love those people. I love to have them around me. I'm more I'm more of a listener. I, I listen to the way people talk. I listen to the stories they tell. And I pay attention to, to human relationships to, you know, I go in, in a bar and I watch the way people interact. And uh, I, I just, I'm a student of people and of, and of relationships. Now, how have relationships in, in the business that you're in? I mean, uh, obviously you've been a showrunner, you've done a, a little bit of everything. How has relationship kind of helped you learn to, to, to meld the words and, and, and tell the stories a little bit? Have those relationships kind of melded you that way as well? Um, relationships in a, in a way I had, I had a couple of mentors early in my career who said it was more important to have good relationships in Hollywood than it was, to have anything else. The jobs weren't important. The relationships were more important. And that's, that's definitely true because you develop a rapport with people and, and film is so collaborative. It's not a thing that one person does. You, you have a hundred people who are all doing, who are all experts in what they do and they're all working together to try to make this thing. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think that, I've been lucky to have good relationships too with directors and, and with producers that I've worked with 
more than once. Some directors I wish I'd worked with more than once, but um, it doesn't really carry over into into publishing so much or into into books because it's really a thing that you do by yourself. But you definitely have relationships with editors, copy editors. You know, you you trust those people to give you the feedback you want. When you are inspired by a character, what, what are the, 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 the traits that kind of catch for you first? What in your writing style? I am a, I love stories about ordinary people in extraordinary situations. That's I've been a sucker for those kinds of stories forever. Um, I like the average man overcoming obstacles to accomplish things that he or she might not have been capable of accomplishing you know, or didn't think they were capable of accomplishing. So I'm not really a, I love reading comic books, but I'm not really a superhero person. Um, I'm much more interested in people like me being challenged and having to do things that are outside of their comfort zone. And that's where I start with character. Has the, uh, has the inspiration over the last year, has it been darker for you as far as writing's concerned, putting thoughts down? Maybe have, have you made it maybe an extra effort to maybe make it brighter as a result of all the darkness that we're seeing right now? Um, a little of both. I mean, it's, it's hard to, I found it hard to write given what was going on in the world. You know, it just was kind of numbing and so real that it was hard to motivate yourself to escape to a fantasy place. It seemed like a cop-out. Darker, maybe a little bit. I always tend to go a little bit dark, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I think, I think wanting to make sense of the world has never been more important either than, than at this time when, you know, some days you don't even know which day it is you wake up and it's like, what day is this? <laughs> Where am I? Um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been a challenge, and I've talked to other people who have had a hard time being creative. You'd think that this would be the perfect opportunity for us because we're locked away and we can just do stuff. There's that great story. I think it was Mary Shelley who wrote Frankenstein during a summer when uh, the work it was it was called the the year without summer because I think a volcanic eruption had caused Europe to be overcast. So it was cold all the time. And they, she and her and her friends hold up in some castle in Europe. And she wrote Frankenstein because it was dark and gloomy. <laughs> so you'd think that would happen. Maybe it's happened for some people, but not so much for me. Now, in spite of all of the ugliness in the world, uh, to, to shine a light, like you mentioned, on the average man and to, to see an average man get uh, get get a leg up, is is that kind of uh, a little bit about the new book as well? Um, yeah, an average. Well, not quite. Um, <laughs> she's not quite an average woman, but but I, I did. I've done a bunch of films and television projects about you know, ex-military, private contractors, venturing uh, candidate at some of all fears, you know, those kind of action thrillers w- that that you have these strong men with special skills going at it. And I, I started with this character. I wanted to do a woman 
in that same situation because we have this new generation of women who are coming out of the military who actually have some of that training and probably or most definitely approach it through a different lens, through a slightly different lens. So I started with that, but I also wanted, I, you know, we do these movies where people drive off of seven, seven story parking structures and crash and then get out of the car and keep running. So I wanted to have someone who had felt the impact of her career as well as she may have these skills, but, but she's had some damage done and she's feeling the effects of that damage. And in her case, it was, it's um, serial concussion syndrome, which is a problem that's happening with soldiers that are coming back from Afghanistan and they're suffering from exposure to IEDs, even if they weren't directly impacted in the moment by it. Um, the shockwave of the explosion does have an effect on people. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting as someone who's, who's a little bit older, who's having memory problems, who's a little worried about what her career might be now. Um, she takes a cruise to kind of calm down and recover from her last mission, her last job and pirates try to take over the ship. And of course she kicks into gear, but in a very grounded way with limited resources and still suffering from the effects of her post-concussion syndrome. So that was kind of where I started. I wanted to do a little bit of Die Hard on a boat and then, and then deconstruct it and make it feel more like something I might go through or you might go through rather than, you know, Bruce Willis. Now, now, Daniel, whenever you put, put a book out, I mean, how hard is it whenever you, you start getting the feedback? Is, is it hard for you to read? Is it uh, or, oh, or yeah. is it maybe just a, just a part of the process for you by now? It, it's it's part of the process. But for me, it's it's you know, I'm so critical. Probably a lot of writers and artists are the same way, but I'm very self-critical. I'm my, my heart. I'm I am my own hardest critic, but. I tend to ignore it. I tend to not try to read it as much as possible. Um, and I learned this early in my career in Hollywood because Hollywood is even more brutal if that's possible. Um, and I kind of take the philosophy that if you, if you pay too much attention to the good reviews, you have to pay attention to the bad reviews with equal. And I just, I sort of go, that's, that's their job and that's fine. Some people are going to like what I do. Some people are not going to like what I do. I hope that I'll reach a few people who will really like it and be moved by it. And um, if I don't get everybody, that's okay. Now, now who was uh, early on in your life, you talked about having some mentors who were, who were the ones that really spurred you forward, really inspired you to, to, to keep the craft going. I had a I had a professor in film school. I never really intended to go into screenwriting. And then I got into film school because I was trying to avoid getting a real job. <laughs> and I had a professor there who kind of shoved me in the right direction. Um, and then when I when I got to Hollywood, I had the great fortune to meet um, Levinson and Link. Uh, Richard Levinson and Bill Link created Columbo and Manix and Murder, She Wrote, and had written all these uh, 
TV movies that I had watched growing up. And they were incredibly generous and helpful and, and great writing mentors and great um, cheerleaders when, you know, when, when you stumbled. Um, so I had that advantage. And then I had a mentor and friend who, was a, who became my producer on several movies and several TV shows named William Sackheim, who was just the best. And he was, he was at the peak of his career and I was just starting out and it turned into a great partnership. And he taught me so many things, not just about the business, but about writing itself, you know, being persistent and, and um, always trying to learn to be better, never being satisfied. Uh, he, it was a great relationship. Now, 2020 being what it was, uh, obviously, especially in Hollywood, things were, were quite different. What What's maybe the biggest thing you pulled from 2020 uh, going into the new year? Oh, wow. What a good question. Um, I, you know, given my predilection toward the average man, uh, I, I was constantly drawn to stories of of little heroes, of, of um, frontline workers who did things that would, you know, bring tears to my eyes because it was so selfless and so it, it would have been so easy to just give up or to hole up and, and not help out. And I was, I, I've been very moved by regular people doing great things. I, I just, I mean, those stories are, that I, that you see on the news, occasionally you read them in the paper, occasionally they're just amazing. I, I'm so, I have so much admiration for those people and it kind of reaffirmed my commitment to that kind of character when I write to, to really understand what makes a person tick that has nothing to do with being, you know, an internet influencer or being, successful in startups. These are people who are, who are just helping other people who are, who are contributing to the community and can be contributing to humanity. That is good. That is good. And uh, again, the, uh, the, the book water memory, Daniel, I, I want to make sure and let our listeners know where to uh, not only find more information about the book, but uh, all of the, uh, all the, all the rest of the works that you have available as well, my friend. I have a website that I'm that I'm continually working on www.danielpine.com um, and I have a lot of my my movies and books and and TV shows and links to pilots that I've put online failed pilots things that you never saw before so it's I try to make it an interesting site but it's all there at uh, danielpine.com Daniel Pine with a y p y n e all right. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for your time today. I, I appreciate you taking thank some you. time and hopefully uh, we can catch up again real soon. All right. Thank you so much, Cameron. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, question, or anything else you'd like to know, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at GQ with Cam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for this podcast, feel free to click the support tab and follow the instructions. If you have a special guest idea, email me gqwithcam at gmail.com. 
Again, thanks to our good friend Brandon Allen for coming up with the Music for Good Questions with Cameron Dole. We're going to let him play us out. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Thursday. Join me for episode 22 coming up tomorrow. 